This message is from 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14, part 2 of 2. Growing in our spiritual lives, caring for the mature and young believer. Kukula muzimu kwa mkristu, wani yohani chapter 2, ndimi utero fukana 14, iindigao lachwiri la mbali ziwiri, utandiza a kristu omu akukula msinku, maganda. This message is presented by Reverend Paul Bucknell and translated into Chichua, the language of Malawi, by Reverend Robert Gawande. Punzolimeneli ndira ambusa Reverend Bucknell, lomasuliridwa ndirobat Gawande. This advanced discipleship training seminar is held by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Sure good to be with you in worship. Sometimes you wonder if you're in heaven or on earth. And I, I just enjoy your enthusiasm. And it goes a long ways in our own lives. I really appreciate these two days we've had together. It always fails a bit short. But a little is better than nothing. <laughs> I really thank the Lord for Reverend Shimonji. Yeah. yeah. And help uh, bringing you all together. Bishop Makawa. And uh, my faithful translator here. Yes. <laughs> And of course, many other people. Do you make this possible? But as we think about going our own ways and not too long, it's a good thing that the Lord is going with us. The same God who watched over Job. The same God who was with Joseph. Is watching over us. He's strengthening us, helping us, guiding us. Today we're going to be looking at a very interesting, important passage. We're continuing a series from yesterday on 1 John chapter 2, 12 to 14. Yesterday we were talking about how to care for a new believer. Do you remember how many stages God described to the Christians? Three stages. The little children, the young men, and the fathers. As we come before him today, 
We want him to teach us how to care for these young men, which stand for the believer. And care for the mature fathers. Uh, we need to remember as we went through this passage that the order of presentation was important. You would think that he would start with the oldest fathers and end with the youngest. Or if you were talking about the age of growth you would start with the little one and go up. But what we find is he doesn't do either of those. It's not that he doesn't understand. John as an elderly man understood fully well. And so why don't we read this passage and then come to the Lord in prayer. First John chapter 2 verse 12 to 14. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you children because you know the father. Verse 14. I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would come and teach us. Lord, we've been blessed by a time of singing and praise to your name. Lord, we affirm, Lord, the unity, the one spirit here. Jesus is our head. We are your body. As our head, we ask that you would speak to us. Through your spirit, you would teach us that you would move us along, O Lord. You know when we leave here, we're going to go back to our congregation. We're going to go back to the villages. We need your strength, O Lord. We need your faith, the faith you give us. And so, Lord, help us during this hour. Make it a special hour. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the little children, talking about new believers. Do you remember the three things that were necessary to convey to the new believer? John points that out. 
Your sins have been forgiven. They often feel guilty. Confused. They don't know how to handle their sins. And so they leave. The second thing, for his name's sake, because of Jesus our sins are forgiven. It's critical that we clarify that it's because of Jesus our sins are forgiven. Just as we looked in Isaiah 53. Jesus is the reason we're saved. We need to explain this to them. Talk to the new believer so until they can say it themselves. It has to be clarified. The third thing was their relationship with their father. God is not just the creator. He's their father. And so Jesus, when he told us the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven. God is not just that far away creator, maker, but that one who comes close to us and cares for us. There are other things we can tell new believers. But these are the three that John mentioned. Now let's look at this second group that John mentions. And this is the mature fathers. I told you there's two characteristics of fathers. One is that they're mature and stable. And the other is that they're reproducing. So what does it mean to be a mature father? They still can be tempted. They still can sin. But it's quite different than the young temptations young men face. Now, by the way, when I refer to young men here, I'm not just talking about men. I'm talking about all those Christians men and women who are not new believers and have not yet reached that mature stage. They're all in between. We'll talk about those believers later. In fact, we'll spend most of our time talking about them. But it's good for us to understand about these fathers. It's interesting that John mentions each of these categories twice. Now we need to focus on here that when John spoke of the fathers, he said exactly the same thing. You see, they've reached that stage in their own life. They're not like the children going back and forth. Through the study of God's word, through their experience, they've overcome many temptations. 
But these fathers also have seen many things. They see their loved ones die. They might see their child die. They might see a pastor or an elder lead the church for some woman. Those are hard. They might even have a friend who betrays them. But they're at that stage where they're going from understanding more of God to knowing God more to yet knowing God even more. He says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. He doesn't use any words that we know like Lord or God or Creator. This is because he's trying to present God in his greatness. There is an unlimited ways, number of ways we can get to know him more. There is no reaching full growth here on earth. It's like when we look in the Old Testament. Something significant happens. Abraham endured the test. He offered up his son Isaac. Oh, and then at the last moment, God provided a ram. What did Abraham say? He learned something else about God. Jehovah Jireh. God, my provider. When I face the most difficult times in my life, and I have to give up the most treasured thing that I have. I can trust God to provide all I need. There is no doubt that many of you have met God, my provider. God is our healer. God is our helper. It always happens in a crisis. And God reveals something more about himself. Because God is concerned with drawing us closer to him. We've already looked at this. We've talked about this. With the example of Jesus. Those crises, those difficult times are for shaping us, for working in our hearts, deepening, deepening our faithfulness, giving us deeper enlightenment in how great God is. They're still tempted because they can get bitter. If going through that crisis, they doubt God. Or they turn selfish. 
They will see them fall. We never want this. That's why you need to stand on the side of those going through those difficulties. How is your soul, my brother? Sister, how are you doing taking this situation? They're very, very difficult. But we need to be there on their side, praying with them and helping them. It's not that we can say that much. They know what we would say. It's what you might say. <laughs> but it's a point of just being there as an encourager of the faith. The word Holy Spirit has a number of, uh, in the New Testament, has a number of ways to describe it. But its most well description is like this. It comes from the Greek word parakletos. He comes alongside and helps us going. He comes along by us and strengthens us. That's the Holy Spirit. And He works through our life to help others. There's no stopping of our spiritual growth. We keep growing. And right to the grave, we're going to be eager students of God's Word. When you open up, it doesn't seem like God's speaking. You've got to wake yourself up. You've got to say something's wrong. The God who loves me, it's like I'm not responding to him. Usually there's a shell around us. A hardness. Breakthrough. Ask God. Speak to me through your word. Lord. You're more important to me than anything in the world. Don't let my heart get hard. Draw me closer. I need you to speak to me today. Even though God might have spoken to us for 20 or 30 years. It's just like food. Every day you want to eat. You want to eat some supper, right? That's the way it is with God's word. And you know something's wrong if you're not eager to read God's word. I find I go through this. But I gotta wake myself up. Repent from my hard heart. Ask him to cleanse me by the blood of Christ. And he'll restore that relationship. But unless we're eager learners to the end, we're gonna backslide. So we need to give that sense of growth 
and anticipation to every believer. But I want to go on and talk about what you might say the middle group here. We talked about the fathers. He mentions them second. Because that's where every child is going to go. Or at least he God designed the child to grow to be an adult. He designed the child to grow to be an adult. I mean there's some little children right there. You should expect that in about 20 years they're big like this. <laughs> and they're beginning to help other people. And maybe they'll be fathers soon. I mean they're small. They don't look like fathers and mothers. But that's the way it's designed. And all those changes we know about. Now this is the faith we need when we look at the people in our congregation. Every one of them is going to grow. And God's goal is everyone to reach that stage of maturity. So they can start caring for little ones. Right? Right? We don't get old so we can get selfish. We get old and strong so we can help others. This is the whole aspect of training. In Titus chapter 2. Maybe just take a quick look at this. In chapter 2 verse 2. He first talked about older men. They're to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Verse 3 talks about how the older woman should. Titus 2, 3 and 4. It says, Older women likewise will be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And verse 5, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. So the older woman to train the younger woman not just to care for children but how to be pure. 
how to care, how to respect their husbands. Mungasu benanga demekezebe ma amuna ao. You see? Mukona, the older caring for the younger. Angono angono kusamari na. Akula akula kusamari angono angono. Sometimes people grow old. Ntawi zina anjama kula magalamba. But they really act immature. But we need to have in our concepts to pray that each one of them grow. And so you could share with your congregation or individuals just three stages. Share what a new believer is. Six, twelve months. Then you grow into a, a believer here, a young believer. Maybe two, three years. Then maybe the fathers. The mature believer. Now you might wonder, well, how can you grow so quick? People, people have been in my congregation for a long time. But they're like little babies still. They haven't learned to take care of themselves and read God's word. And now this is why I want to focus on this middle group here. I share our church has a, because we're a student church back in America. We usually have people in our congregation from two to four years. One of the reasons God led us into this development and training because we have atheists coming from China. Don't China. I don't believe any God. Except maybe money. <laughs> and they come. And we have to spread the gospel to them. That takes a little time. Maybe about six to months to a year. Then we train them as a new believer. Then we train them in this middle stage. And, and hopefully their last year, their fourth year, they're there as leaders. And they're already helping others. That's our church. They're only there so long. We have to work quick. It's urgent for us for our survival. As well as our mission. Because some of them, many of them are going to go back to their home countries around the world. And unless we tell them how to care for their life and care for others, they'll get lost. But instead, they go back. There's no church there. 
Ah, but they will start a service. They're not church planners. But they have to have a worship service. And so they're there. <laughs> And then there's 10, 20, 30 people. You can train people very quickly. The problem is that we give responsibility to people before they've grown through that middle stage. In our eagerness, looks like a very aspiring young man. <laughs> Come and be a leader with me. What's important first? Spend some individual time with him. And see where he's at. Uh, last year, uh, my second daughter got married. Before she got married, I met with a to be son in law. <laughs> I probably had 15 to 20 meetings with him. I was thinking, well, I'd rather train him before he gets married. So they can have a good marriage. Then afterwards, when there's all those difficulties, we have a wonderful relationship. And we can work together. At a certain stage, people are willing to learn. If we approach it rightly. But remember, the child, the goal is that they be a mature adult. And so, for you, for your congregation, you have to paint before them a picture of what a mature believer is like. Something what I've been doing a little bit with you. Reading through the book of Titus. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. And then they can see where they're going. Oh, that's where I'm supposed to be like. I'm not there. But that's where this second group is so important. And what John mentions here. We'll help you be able to train those people in that middle group. Let's look carefully at that. First John chapter 2. One Johanna 2. He says in verse 13. I've written to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. He wrote to the young people. Now, this young people doesn't necessarily mean age-wise young. It's a family illustration to help us understand the stages of spiritual growth. It's talking about all those people between the new believer and the father, the mature believer. 
Ajemata okulanta uza yaanaka uzimu ndima antokima nsinku amuzimu. But what does he say here? Koma ulanta akuchanja banoma. He says you have overcome the evil one. Akuti numangonje sakabana mamulaka oyipayo. Now we were looking at the evil one last night in the book of Job, weren't we? You see that evil one wants to come near us. He wants to come around us and use his ways, his words to influence us. That's the word temptation. But notice what he says of these young book men. He says you have overcome the evil one. And you might be thinking, Well, it doesn't seem like that with the believers in my congregation. <laughs> it might be written the other way. The evil one overcame the believer. That's not what he says. What is he saying? In some way, these young men have learned to stand up now. They've learned to feed themselves the word of God. They've learned to discern between God's word and Satan's word. By this they've overcome the evil one. The evil one only can get to us if he can tempt us. If we learn to discern his words, reject them by the truth of God then we can just grow in the garden you put a seed you want that plant to grow how big do you want that plant to grow you want it to grow until it starts bearing fruit if it only gets halfway, that's no good. It will never produce fruit for others. And we have to be insistent that these things happen to the believer in our church. For convenience, I'll use the word believer to describe this middle stage. And verse 14 he expands this. So no, He says, I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's look carefully what he says here. These young men, these believers are strong. And we can think about that with maybe someone like 15 years old, 20 years old. Full of energy. Ready to do things. Like activities. The same thing. They're strong at their prime. I'm a kind of, I'm powerful. But it says the reason is because the word of God is in them. 
This will have to do with how much they've grown. If I have a plant growing this tall, but it only gets a little bit of moisture, it's not going to grow very much. Give it more water, it will continue. You know that. The same thing is with the Word of God. We looked at yesterday, 1 Peter. It says the seed is the Word of God. And it's meant to grow. We need to, I mean, it brings new life into that plant. And we need to feed it the Word of God to make it strong. That's one reason I referred to this Philippians 4 passage earlier today. I was using that as an example of the power of God's word in a person's life. If you want the peace of God, if the believers in your congregation need the peace of God, you take the word of God and bring it to them. Bring it to them until they understand it. They start thinking it. And they start doing it. And you will see the fruit come in their life. This is true with overcoming worry. It's true with any sin. Any temptation. Yes, And that's why it speaks so authoritatively here. You are strong. Because the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil. One. So what areas are you battling with? What areas are you struggling with in your congregation? Maybe they're struggling because they do not have enough of God's word in them. Let me give an example between husbands and wives. The husband is supposed to love his wife. That's the word of God. Ephesians 5. Uh, repeat after me. Husbands, love your wives. Everyone. Okay. Now, what, this is the word of God. And it sets before us what we need to do. God wants us to have wonderful marriages. But for us to have those wonderful marriages, husbands, we need to start loving our wives. The wives like that. <laughs> 
God made them to receive that love. If a husband only speaks rashly or mean toward the wife, or in many cases the husbands don't talk to the wives at all. The scripture says the two are one. But as far as you look at their marriage, the husband never really talks to the wife. Or if he talks, he just commands her. <laughs> but what does the scripture say the husband should do? Can you tell me again what? We can simply go to 1 Corinthians 13. And verse 4 to 7, it tells us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. You know, often our world has given us an image of what a husband's like. But you have never allowed God's word to teach you what a husband should be like. Again, I don't have much time on this. But one thing I've been doing with my wife, in eight months, we'll be married 30 years now. Is that each evening, obviously if I'm, if I'm home, <laughs> I spend like from a half hour to an hour with my wife. She sits there, I sit here. And I ask her, how's your day going? And she shares about life. And she asks about my life. Then we pray. We've been doing this all the time. I can't remember the last time we argued. Instead, we talked and we prayed. I think that's what the scriptures teach. Otherwise, you have a, a, a husband mind. You have a wife mind. And each one is struggling. God wants you to merge together and before the Lord you operate as one. That does not mean the husband is not the head. Of course he is. He has to make final decisions. But the point is how can he make wise decisions without getting his helpmate input.
after this day. We must have to go and have a cup But I have a wonderful marriage. Come in, you might have a single answer. Not because I grew up in a good family. No, the psychologist said about me. He said, I shouldn't go to the mission field. Why? Because my parents were divorced. They're not believers. My mother's actually been divorced four times. I had to go to the scriptures. And let God teach me about marriage. Teach me about being a husband. Teach me about being a father. Teach me about living a Christian life. Because I had problems in every area of my life. The reason I can share so much with you. Because I had a fight in each of those areas. But I learned the power of God's word. And when we husbands take away that worldly concept of husbands and ask the Lord to start teaching me about God's concept of husbands. And learn from Christ how he was the husband of the bride, the church. All of a sudden I learned, oh, I've been doing it wrong. Culture is important. But to a degree, the Christians have to shape the culture. Wherever the culture does not support biblical values, we got to discern. Otherwise, we'll be worldly. Let me just talk to the wives for a moment. Wives. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of looking down on your husband's bad decisions. Just focus on what God told you to do. I know you're concerned about your family. And sometimes your husband's really stubborn. He doesn't understand. He thinks he understands, but he doesn't. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord. Your struggle of faith 
will be whether you just imitate your mom. Who maybe went against her husband. And you're just doing the same thing. You don't have any trust in your husband. You need to build up trust. Your husbands need you. God made you to be that helpmate. If you would just start looking at your husband in a special way. And then start encouraging your husband. No criticism. This is what God's word is teaching. And many of us have not grown to that mature stage. Because we're unwilling for the word of God to abide in us. It says, why submit to your husband? But you keep that from your heart. And you make exceptions for yourself. You'll never grow. You're making your marriage worse. There might be fears that come up. Go back to Philippians 4. And you start praying. With thanksgiving. How do you pray with thanksgiving for your husband? <laughs> Let me give an example. <laughs> Lord, I, I come to you today. I'm praying for my husband. I'm scared at some of the decisions he's making. He makes decisions. But he doesn't seem to really care about us. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. But I want to thank you for my husband. I want to thank you for calling me to be his helpmate. This is your calling to me. Strengthen me. Let me be a helpmate. To encourage him. To help him. To pray for him. That he might be a great man of God. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. But you're powerful. And you can work in him. And I trust him to you. Just give me that gentle heart. That patient heart. That caring heart. That I can be like Sarah. And please you, my Lord. And fulfill my calling of being a great helpmate. Jesus. Mutina, yes, sir.
It's taking God's word. Taking those truths. And washing our mind with them. It's believing God's word is so important. That I somehow I need to get it in here. And sometimes it's awful hard. Your wife might not believe that, but probably most husbands already believe they love their wives. <laughs> I challenge your husband. <laughs> Ask your wives two ways that you could love them more. ウィンチコーデアザザンザンディンバディトゥファンシスコンダンデコンピリンジャズウィンライダウンウェイサスメネソワイナティファシャンバイディシカワンツスグロウンツマチュアーメンエンドウォーメンウォーマンウォーマン
Alipo wina aka ahimi apese sanja kuti afotokoze kuti koma mbali ya kuti kuti banji kapena ndemanga kapena funso. No, she's saying that how about if you have for a period of five to six you are trying to talk to the husband repeating the very same thing but the husband is not responding favorably to you how can you do it for a period of five to six months yes okay let's let's go back to the word of god do you all hear that in the back Okay, one of the problems in marriages. The husband neglects the family. He does not act as head. The wife is very insecure. God appointed the husband to act as him. To oversee the spiritual and physical concerns for the home. What happens is often wives start taking leadership. This is the same thing that happens in the church. If you see that there's more women than men, or the women are more spiritual than men, it's because husbands have not taken faithfully their responsibility. And what you need to do is start meeting with those men. Start teaching them biblically what it is to be a husband. And a father. It will take a while. They've been so taught by the world that it's hard for them to start understanding it. But when you set a good example, and when you have a good marriage, everyone's looking at you. Because it's what everybody wants. The culture doesn't offer it. Often we go evangelizing. We tell them about Jesus. But we could tell them about how he gives us good marriages. That's what he does for us. Let me get back to the question. That what I mentioned was underneath this other question. Why is he looking for leadership? And then when they talk to you, we need to listen. Now, Actually, wives, husbands listen more than you think. <laughs> but our problem is, we don't tell our wives that we heard them. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, a, a wise asked one time, We already heard them. We already made a decision. We didn't tell them. They ask again. They ask again. They ask again. But now it's getting irritated. And this is why in the scriptures, it says, wives, don't keep asking your husband. But one thing I learned as a husband, tell my wife what I'm thinking. You want the two to act as one? Yes. Husband, communicate with your wife. <laughs> Why don't we tell our wives? Sometimes we don't think we need to. Sometimes we think our wives will disagree. Sometimes we just don't want to hear all the problems from the wife. If we're really going to be good leaders, then we need to start valuing our wives. We need to tell them our decisions. But tell them in a gentle way. Don't, don't say, I decided to do it my way. Don't do it that Tell them, thank you for being concerned about this issue. I've thought through this. I heard what you said. And I think this is the best way the Lord wants us to go. Do you see the difference? Yes. Ah, a big difference. And the later, we actually heard our wives and we told them, we heard them. And so they're encouraged. And, and they won't keep repeating themselves. And so we help them. But in the end, sometimes husbands won't say anything. Just be quiet. With a respectful heart. Just entrust it to the Lord. And use that verse from Philippians to pray. And make supplications with thanksgiving. It's important you have a peace of heart. I know sometimes you might be crying. And it seems like your husband doesn't care at all. God will hear you. Husbands, be gentle with your wives. They so much want your love and affection. Let me give another example. 
the word of God. The example of anger. What do the scripture says about anger? Well, I should have outbursts of anger. Instead, I should be gentle and patient. And so when I look on the scriptures, I look at what it teaches about anger. And I also look at what's the opposite of anger. When I started studying about anger, I learned that anger is often a way to manipulate people. Instead of using gentle and kind words, we shout at them. Why do you speak that way? Don't you know who I am? I don't know if you do it that way. But some people do. Where are you at? Well, if you do that, where are you at in your spiritual life? More than likely, how you treat your wife, husband, will be just as you teach, treat the church. We need to learn, get rid of all that anger. It says in the scriptures, Book of James. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Now sometimes we think it does. <laughs> but the word of <laughs> But the word of God, when it abides in us, it says, no, <laughs> anger of God does not do what God. And finally, we get humble enough to say, you know, I'm really wrong here. You might look, you probably learned anger from your father. You're laughing, huh? <laughs> I tell you, we are more worldly than you think. We just imitate the world, even though the scriptures are so clear. But we've never submitted ourselves to God's word. So we've been Christians 15 years. We still burst out in anger. We need to repent. We've been a sinful people. We've heard our beautiful wives. We've heard our children. The people in our church. Now this is just the negative part. But whenever you treat someone in anger like that, 
It means that you have not loved them as you should. So there's a sin of anger. There's also the sin of not loving as you should. What do you say before God? Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm well, no chima. Forgive me. Right? We thank the Lord for Jesus. For forgiveness. Away with our pride. We humble ourselves before the cross. Without his forgiveness, we have nothing. But with the word of God, we can be strong. We should have learned these things when we were Christians only one or two years old. Look how far behind we are. So in our church, we have we teach people how to be a good parent. We teach people how to have good marriages. Because you can't be a good pastor or leader without having a good marriage. It says in 1 Timothy, if you cannot manage your household, how can you manage the church? The household of faith. See how the word of God, once you let it come in you, you start speaking. But in many cases, we never learn how to take it in. We have a few more minutes. Are there any particular issues you want me to address like this? Or any situations you want me to comment on? Related to spiritual growth. She says that the word says we should submit to our, our husbands. And now let's say you are together in the church and the husband decides to leave the church without telling the wife. How should a woman respond to such a situation? They are together in the church and the husband decides to leave the church without notifying the wife. There's some information I'm missing on that one. Uh, I don't know enough information. I mean, is he telling you to leave the church? No. The husband just decides on his, on his own. But he still allows her to go. Conclude that is it. But they are still in the marriage, of course. They're staying together. But there's a, a just there's a lot of situations like this. And I hope your husbands are thinking. I was just in India. And there was a wife who asked me to pray for her. But I didn't She had a very difficult situation. I prayed for her. Later on, she asked me to pray for her again. She wanted to know my telephone number. Now, 
She wants to call me in America. She can't even speak English. I can't speak her language. And I know she doesn't have any money. But she's so desperate. She can't even think. I said, there's no sense giving you my telephone number. I can't counsel you over the phone. But I prayed for her again. At the end of the seminar, she came up to me. She came with her husband. And my friend, the translator in that case, introduced me to this couple. The wife had, I think, four or five children. He said that the, her husband had left her. She was attending the seminar. But he came in just when I was speaking on adultery. The Spirit of God convicted him. And he humbled himself and repented. And so now they were as a couple together. She was so desperate just 30 minutes ago. But now she was smiling. God was answering her prayer. Sometimes we don't have easy, easy things we face in life. All I can say is cry out to God with thanksgiving. He at least will give you the peace in your heart. And as you steadily pray that way, your husband will be much more attracted to be home. When you have that peaceful calm, I don't know enough other things and I don't think maybe it's a good time to go further into that issue. Are there any other situations about spiritual growth? It doesn't have to be about marriage. You say that it happens to the youth when he has grown up and he wants to enter into marriage. What are the main key points that that young man should do in order to have a better family? Already married or not married? He's expecting to. One of the things we have is another training (laughs) for those who are getting ready to be married. I have lessons, for example, on my website, six lessons for those to meet with. But one of the important things is individual attention. I find it's worth my time if I spend six one and a half hour sessions with those couples. 
six and a half hours. Divanga remene rijalo kuli yankula kuli punzisa. That's altogether nine hours. Pamozi maora nine. I'm busy. Dinotanga niwa. But it's that important. Because if you build a strong couple, then they have a good marriage. And they're right there supporting you. If they end up in your church. If they don't agree to meet with me, I won't marry them. Now, I'm that strict about it. Because often there's going to be conflict. Does that answer your question? But again, you, you, you see the training, training, training. <laughs> and in that training, we're doing several things. We're showing them what a good couple's like. We invite them to have dinner with us and to eat with our family. We want them to see us. We also look for problems. You know, I'm looking at their backgrounds. I'm talking to them. Do I see any disrespect in the woman? Do I see any problems with a man of irresponsibility? I'm looking carefully. <laughs> but I, then I talk and I give the biblical truth. This is what marriage is really about. Because they're soon to get married. They're very eager to learn. If you wait till after they have get married, it's totally different. <laughs> then you're dealing with problems. There's no foundation. Are you saying that? There are certain people who get married but as many believers. Both are non-believers. Yes. Both non-believers. And then eventually they get born again and they begin to, mm-hmm. to become Christians. And they are not yet blessed by the pastor. So such type of family, how do you value it? You better tell the question. Aso kwa ya kufusa kuti, kumashaka mtu wa lombanja, usana temenuke ntima. Ndekutu wa usana temenuke ntima. Mwachi somoja mungu, wa temenuke ntima. Uh, in a situation like this, first of all, thank the Lord that both came to know the Lord. Sometimes it's only one. And that's much more difficult. But when they both come to know the Lord, I would do something like I did with new couples. You know, you've learned a lot of things, I would tell the couple, you've learned a lot of things from the world about marriage. Do you know God designed marriage? And he tells us how to have a good marriage. I'd like to meet with both of you for three times. 
katatu. And I want to share with you how to have a wonderful marriage. Ndeme mafundi kaone nanu mimi munda kale ndi banja la kwino. You know something like that. Zima kama wote mashizaji ngatameneo. Is that your question? Nikusona ndi mimi nalo ngateka na mbesa. But you were right away. Do it right away. Kuma fukwe mbili yatu, kuya mbili yatu, kuma mbili ndo. Because these are the new believers. Tifana ndoto mbe ngantima cha sabana bomba. And they're eager for God's word. Ndema ndicha angu ndinja ema amuru. But if you wait for six months, ndema mukango diki mpaka miezi shikish. They're already having some problems in their marriage. Ndekuda yamba kale kuma ndizo kumu bisambanjamu. And they're thinking God's not helping them. They get discouraged with God's word. They start doubting God. And you will have a mediocre, you know, a, a not so good couple. But let them be victorious. I really appreciate the time we've had together. Some very good questions. You know, I'm not going to be here long. Next Friday, I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to my wife. It's almost been a month. But you have God's word. Are you studying God's word? Read your Bible, pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. The other verse goes like this. Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. <laughs> Oh, God wants us to be strong. Yeah. He's made it that we have overcome the evil one. Let's take the word of God. Let it build ourselves up. In our marriages. In our life. In our relationships. And you will see a whole change. God is waiting for his bride to be holy. Through this series we've been talking about making a godly leader. The ungodly have to become godly. We have to put away our sins. We have to take God's word. Say, I want that more than anything. Don't be discouraged wherever you're at. Go forward. Go forward. And he's right there with you. As our Father in heaven. He speaks to us through his words. And we gain a testimony of being strong. And we can share that with people in the congregation. Let's let's when we stand. I want you to think about your own life there. How has God been speaking to you? Can you at least identify one or two things? 
Kodi mkasindikire puto ni mwazika bala maputa wili mwemanu mo. Dedicate yourself to work on those areas. Don't forget him. Focus until you see victory. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God. We come to you as your children. Lord, we see that we are not as godly as we need to be. Oh Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for not being loving husbands. Forgive us for not being loving wives and respecting our husbands. Oh Lord, you want us to have wonderful marriages. Give us those wonderful marriages. Lord, you want us to have good relationship with others. Help us to have those good relationships. You want us to put away anger and be gentle and kind. Oh Lord. Help us as we humble ourselves before you. Oh Lord, we have so many lessons to learn. We thank you that you keep teaching us. You have more to teach us. All through our lives you have more to teach us. Bring us to that full stage of maturity, Lord. That we can grow in your name. And that Christ can be reflected in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. This concludes part 2 of 1 John 2, 12-14. Presented by Reverend Paul Bucknell, translated by Robert Gawande. Growing in our spiritual lives. Second part spoke about caring for both the mature and the young believer. Please turn to Biblical Foundations for Freedom for further resources. www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Amen.